RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Here we are once again, closing the distance. Uh, I'm Dan Christ, associate pastor here at RPC and interviewing Jeff Myers, senior pastor here. And I'm filling in for Carrie Weatherford, who uh, was meant to be interviewing you today. And it's kind of thrown Jeff for a loop. So that's, we're just trying to keep him on edge. So, or, you know, that's just what we do. I know you, you're a lot less nice than Carrie. So I'm a little worried now. Yeah. Yeah, Carrie's nice. I'm not nice. So <laughs> anyway, we're, we're thankful to have this opportunity to kind of unpack in a, a little bit deeper level the messages that you, you're providing us uh, each Sunday. And so we're thankful for those who listen. And, and we've heard some pretty good feedback from, from some of you about how they, they'd like to kind of pull this out and, and listen to this podcast and, and help them digest it a little. And, and that's great. So we're, we're doing this weekly for the next... How much longer are we doing this? I know we're not doing it Memorial Day because I'm preaching on Memorial Day weekend and they're like, no, we're not closing that distance. <laughs> That's too big a gap. <laughs> yeah. We'll do it for a few. We'll do it through at least this sermon series and kind of reevaluate it and see if people want to uh, keep going. So next week is the last for now. Right. Next week, the last for now. All right. Well, anyway, I've enjoyed it and, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful to be able to have this, this time. And so we're in this sermon series um, called Wise Up and dealing with wisdom literature. And so we've spent quite a few weeks in Proverbs, but yesterday we took a bit of a turn, right? And so we kind of moved out of Proverbs into Ecclesiastes, which, I mean, to be honest, particularly in, in Protestant tradition, is not a book that gets a whole lot of, whole lot of airtime in sermons. Um, for a lot of people, there's a lot of different interpretations of it. Um, there are some, it's pretty dark, you know, you know, the, the beginning depends on the interpretation. We'll get into this a little bit, but it, it can be pretty dark or confusing or depressing for a lot of people as they read it without true understanding. So it's good that we're diving into it and giving you opportunity to kind of unpack your thoughts on it as well. But again, I think for most of us, uh, Ecclesiastes is not a book that we know very well. That is, you know, that's been a long or rich part of tradition. In fact, if you look at the, the lectionary, if you follow the lectionary, Ecclesiastes is only featured twice in the whole of the lectionary, two Sundays. So again, in Protestant tradition, it's just not, um, it's just not a major focus. So, I mean, just to kind of get us started, tell us a bit about your understanding of Ecclesiastes and why it's 
you know, why it's important in the canon and why it's necessary for us to, to actually investigate a book like this. Yeah, so that's a rich, real rich question. Um, so for me, okay, so you make this distinction in the West between Catholics and Protestants, you know, in Catholic, Roman Catholics coming out of Thomas Aquinas, okay? Thomas Aquinas, the official doctor or theologian of the church, Aquinas, because um, recovers Aristotle and then translates, so gr this Greek philosopher, and translates um, Aristotle in a Christian idiom, okay? And so if you read the Summa Theologica, you'll get um, Aristotle and Augustine and all this mixed up together uh, for a Christian culture. But one of the problems that happens is, is that wisdom or um, Greek kind of thinking overtakes um, much of the gospel, okay? It gets misunderstood. So, and then the 16th century, Martin Luther comes along, critiques a lot of that tradition, okay? And he emphasizes grace. You can't earn your salvation. It's all grace, okay? And he says, and, and, um, and one of his, like, most significant critiques was he's saying, you trying to develop the virtue of practical wisdom or prudence is, is your... Um, expression of pride okay it's pro it's prideful now okay and luther we have to understand historically that luther is responding to the um you know the emphasis on works uh for our to earn our salvation and so he's like no it's all grace and any kind of aspiration to become wise and practically wise and prudent uh to be virtuous is seen um as an expression of human pride okay john calvin comes after luther um in a 16th 17th century and he's a second generation reformer and he says on second thought that he's there's what he calls the third use of the law there's that growing in wisdom growing in um like trying to follow the ten commandments trying to become courageous and temperate and all this is is a process of what we call sanctification, okay? That we're becoming more like Christ. We're not earning our salvation, but we're actually, the salvation is our springboard into becoming um, more virtuous. And we believe that the virtuous person will live the blessed or the happy life. Uh, not that everything goes right, but um, the person that is overcome with anger, it's going to make them less happy, less blessed. Okay. So showing patience, showing practical wisdom and not being a fool is growing in sanctification. So I read Ecclesiastes, I read Proverbs, not in isolation like um, an academic scholar might, but I read it in, you know, as kind of part of salvation history. That what can we take from Ecclesiastes and learn from it, read in light of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we looked at some of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 7 yesterday to try to say, okay, is Jesus is an inheritor of the wisdom tradition. And obviously you, he talks about what it is to be the wise person and what it is to be the fool and what, how we can understand Ecclesiastes in light of what Christ says about it. Hmm. And, you, and you touched on this a little bit and maybe this is not uh, a rabbit hole we want to go down, but it just kind of made me think that there is definitely a distinction 
between kind of Greek philosophy and wisdom understanding and Hebrew philosophy and wisdom understanding. And, I, and like you said, particularly in the Protestant tradition, but you know, in the church in the West, which includes Catholicism, we have certainly adopted a much more Greek way of kind of interpreting scripture and understanding that. And if, if you're able, you know, can you just kind of explain a little bit of the nuances of, you know, how, how is interpretation from a Hebrew perspective? Like, again, if, if we are in the Jewish tradition now in the, in the Jewish church, this book is still highly regarded and used regularly. And yet in our tradition, not so much. And a lot of it has to do with, again, like you said, the, the Greek kind of philosophy or understanding of the world and the concept of the world and it differs from the Hebrew. So if you can unpack that a little bit, that might help us all understand a better way to interpret it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, to, to be, I mean, I hate to like be too stereotypical or too general, but I think the Greek mindset is very much kind of about abstract thinking. Okay. Especially Plato. Okay. Plato abstract thinking, trying to escape kind of creaturely reality and get to the world of what he called the forms um this idealized world and then using that on abstract philosophical thinking to apply to human life aristotle who studied under plato you know in second generation is a little different and he he's much more um like aquinas and i think similar to in ecclesiastes where in ecclesiastes and i think the hebrew mind is creation is good material matter is good it's flawed it may be broken but inherently at its root it's good okay how can we see from the world how it works like what um what can we learn from it why does the earth move in the way it does why does why are there different seasons why do we plan at one time and reap at another um why uh how do we how do we raise a child what's the way to treat people um uh like these kinds of things like really like earthy kind of practical um ideas i think is from the hebrew mindset and remember you know when god creates god creates humans out of the dirt right it's this uh the adam the human from the adama right the earth sand dust soil and so it's a very earthy looking um perspective and worldview if you will right that's my that would be my general kind of understanding and so if you have that kind of jewish or uh mindset you're going to read the new testament in some ways and if you have kind of a greek kind of look you might read it in a different way right and again to pursue that a little bit further and maybe a bit deep but the the greek pursuing the greek philosophy to its to uh, an unhelpful end led to Gnosticism, which was, you know, the idea that the, the material, the physical was an abomination and only the spiritual was of value. And, you know, then the idea that, well, Jesus couldn't have been physical. He wasn't a physical body. He was only uh, in spirit because he couldn't be, because material was bad. And again, that is not Hebrew thinking at all. Right. No, no. I, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's great, Dan. And, um, and I think like, especially in the Greek world, Greek speaking world, where the New Testament was born out of, one of the problems of the world is the, the problem we talked about yesterday, the ephemerality of, of creaturely reality of the world, 
that's here one day and it's gone the next. And Greeks, you know, had various ways they addressed this issue. You know, there was give into it, maybe kind of an Epicurean kind of eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die kind of thing. There was a stoic kind of view that like, we're going to, we're going to remove ourselves from all um, kind of emotion and enjoyment and try to, and try to distance ourselves. And then there's kind of that Gnostic view that we're trying to intellectually and spiritually escape from the world. And, and what we see is very different, I think, from the Christian mindset that God, break, if, the Orthodox view that God breaks in, in Jesus Christ, into creature reality, but God has also created the very uh, cosmos. And so it's, it may change and it's broken and it's fallen, but that's not broken and fallen outside of God's power or God's dominion, you might say. So let's, let's go into the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, which again, depending on the interpretation, you know, the translation that you're using, you know, it, it sounds like this person is coming to the end of their life and thinking, I, I see no point in life. And matter of fact, one translation, the NIV actually says, you know, it begins with meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, which I think is not exactly a good translation for, for Hebel, for the, the Hebrew word. And like you talked about yesterday in your sermon, mist or smoke, the MSG, the, the message actually talks about it as smoke. Everything is smoke, which is a little bit more ephemeral. It doesn't mean that it's non-existent or it has no point or purpose. It just means it's not lasting. So talk about like, why does, you know, why is that an important kind of concept? I mean, why do we need to understand that at the very beginning of this book, it's like smoke, smoke, nothing is smoke. How does that impact the way that we should kind of live our lives, perceive the world, understand how God is working. Yeah. So I think, yeah. So I think the three main translations are like you said, meaninglessness, nothingness and vanity, which vanity is NRSV, which is what we used yesterday. Yeah. And so, but I agree with you. And, and now I'm no like Hebrew scholar. So, you know, I, I've taken Hebrew so I can, I know enough to get myself into trouble. Right. Me too. <laughs> um, but I mean, the, the, the commentators who are very knowledgeable that I've talked about this said it's more, it's more accurate to translate it smoke, mist, or hevel, right? And, and it seems like that opening chapter is very much about how life is, is always changing. You, you know, like you try to buffer yourself against the, um, the effects of time and change and you can't do it, you know? I could dye my hair to get the gray out. You could, you know, try to regrow your hair, but it's like, it, it just, it's, it's not happening. We're stuck. <laughs> time, yeah. time is going. And so for me to act as if that's not or the world I'm born into is to not understand the world that I'm a part of and, and, and to, and to tell the truth about that. Okay. And that's not hopelessness, but that's just, that is okay right. and then once i can tell the truth about that then what is how does that make me feel what does this mean about where i can't come from where does that mean where i'm going what does that mean how i'm attached to my physical belongings to in my relationships and i think being honest about that um, helps us treat things as they ought to be treated yeah so you weren't there that 
you know, when after you preach in the 1045 service, which is where I was yesterday, you, you disappear. And, and for whatever reason, they leave me all by myself in there. So no one has any idea how I follow up. But again, you make all the very well. We go we go right from your sermon. We, we go into this time of confession. And for me, it was a really poignant and, and powerful kind of idea that you had talked about the the ephemeral nature of life where that life was smoke or mist. And I, you know, as we lead into, into doing the confession, I said, you know, some of the things that we need to confess is that we try and make the ephemeral concrete and we pursue things like material wealth and possessions and all those things that aren't lasting in place of the one thing that is lasting, which is a relationship with God. The one thing that, you know, God with your yesterday, today, and will be tomorrow. And yet that's not the stuff that's right in front of us or that we pursue that we spend our time doing, you know, our, our life. And so we try to, to base our lives on something that isn't going to last. And I think to me, that's what, as negative as it might sound in initial reading, that's what the writer of, of Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to focus on. Like, you are wait, you're spinning your wheels, doing all these things. And those of you who are pursuing wealth, waste of time. And those of you who are, are poor, you know, you end up in the same place, regardless of how much wealth you have or don't have. Or talk, he talks about political power in there and all those things. I mean, how do you feel about that in terms of, as a, a way of interpreting, interpreting uh, Ecclesiastes? And did I do a good job? Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the way you uh, explained yourself right now, I think you did a very good job. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, I think Ecclesiastes is, was a favorite book of some of the existential writers. I mean, you think Soren Kierkegaard, you think Camus, you think Sartre, they're all kind of getting at the same problem. And I don't even want to say problem, maybe not problem, but same paradox, you know, Camus, you know, used to refer to the absurd, the absurdity of life, okay? And, and, and I think if we think about it, there are things that are just absurd. And, you know, um, so he, he loved the myth of Sisyphus, one of his favorite uh, Greek myths that he wrote a, a really important essay called The Myth of Sisyphus. And he says the only true philosophical question is, um, to commit suicide okay and you're like what what that's the true philosophical and he's getting at to the absurd he says does life have a point and he tries to make an argument that you know like sisyphus who pushes this boulder up a mountain and then it gets to the top and then it rolls back down and so sisyphus has got to go down get his boulder push it back up and it rolls down the other sides and camus makes the argument that we can as human beings we can find meaning in pushing the boulder up the mountain and letting it roll down the other side and pushing it back up. And I think, and I think I, I personally really like Camus and I, I've learned a lot from him, but I also think that the Christian viewpoint can offer a little bit more that there, we have a vocation beyond ourselves, more than just pushing a boulder up a mountain and it rolling down to serve uh, a God who has given uh, of himself uh, in Jesus Christ for the life of the world and living into that reality sets us free um, to beyond to for a hope that that transcends our present uh, circumstance and context. Um, and so, and for people that might be interested in a little a more hopeful view on Camus, uh, there's a great book um, by 
I think um, Howard Muma, M-U-M-M-A, called Albert Camus and the Minister, which is really interesting um, about this guy who was a pastor at the American Church in Paris, and uh, Camus allegedly would sneak in there to go to church sometimes. And, um, and it was about some of their conversations that Muma writes about very late in his life um, that he had had when he was a younger pastor and knew, uh, claims to have known Camus. So anyway, uh, good stuff. Excellent. Well, kind of as a, as a precursor to this uh, venture into wisdom literature and Ecclesiastes in particular, with the small group that I lead, we, we began to discuss this. And actually this, this section, chapter one, you know, verse first 11 verses there was a discussion and i'd just be interested to hear your ideas on it you know there there are some who interpret the entire book of ecclesiastes as uh wisdom literature from the perspective of someone who had no belief no faith no connection to god like they you know they see it as an example of someone who who had pursued all these things you know we'll talk about some of them as we go on you know some of the pursuits of life and the things they've done in the absence of any relationship and so therefore they see it as an example of well this is the worst of human nature and i don't see it that way at all i you know i see them continually kind of responding to god and say if there's any point there's a whole lot of of like you said you know absurdity but if there's one thing that's not absurd, it's this relationship. And I hear that message consistently in it. But I just wondered, you know, how do you feel about the, the various ways that this can be interpreted and, and understood? Yeah, so I, I don't, I look at it as not necessarily as somebody who doesn't believe in God or somebody who is hopeless. I see it as somebody just looking at the world out their front window going, things change. Right. You know? looking, you know, think, I'm not going to be here forever. My loved ones aren't going to be here forever. So I should, I should keep that in mind. Right. And I should live my life in such a way that I spend the time with things I really care about. Mm-hmm. So for instance, this is, this is a mundane example, but I recently listened to a podcast and, they, and the podcast was like, if you read uh, one book a week, and you live, you know, you have the average life expectancy of a modern person, you, you'll be able to read about 2,500 books. Okay. Well, that's not a lot of books when you think of all the books in the library and on Amazon. And so you really have to be selective about what you read because you only have so much time to read. And, and I thought, started thinking about that. And I, you know, I mentioned, I think last week, I've just started reading the, uh, the, uh, the born identity, uh, you know, Robert, Ludlum's, you know, and, uh, and I've been really excited about it. I read a John le Carre book. So I want to get into this because I really love the movies and I'm about 200 pages in I'm, I'm adding it up, Dan. And I'm like, and this book's like 1200 pages. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be like another month and a half of reading. And is this how I want to spend my, is it that good? I know the story. I've seen them. In fact, right. I would say this is one of the times I would say the movie is better, in my opinion. Wow. But, uh, but I'm reading it. And I've been having this like kind of crisis. I'm like, is this worth my time? And I, I kind of could put it down. I'm just, I'm, I'm just really at a, a, a paradoxical moment. But it's an important question because I only have so much time in my life. 
And there's only so many books I can read. So how am I going to be most effective? And not just like from a, like a consumerist, I just want to consume the most books, but what's going to benefit me? What's going to bring, give me wisdom and joy and perspective. Um, and so that's one of the things I've been, I've been thinking a lot about, honestly. And I think we could apply that same question to every sphere and kind of area of our life. That's, and to do that is to be wise and it's to live the, you know, what uh, Plato said, Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Okay. That's a hyperbole, but because if you, I think you're still worth living your life if it's unexamined. But I think what he's saying is we should think about our lives. We should reflect upon them. What is, what, how do we want to be living? What do we care about? Who do we care about? Right. Are our priorities in the right place? And so that's where I think Ecclesiastes helps us wake us up to those questions. Right. And there definitely are several times throughout the book. It does say things like, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. When you, when you have those opportunities, take them. And again, some people see that as, as fatalistic, like there's nothing better to do. But to me, I see it as, you know, life is difficult and challenging and it does seem and sometimes like monotonous or I'm not sure what the point is but those opportunities to to share with family and friends and enjoy good food and company and all that stuff are the little blessings from God that come consistently through life and don't bypass them pursuing whatever else you're trying to pursue I think that's the message at least it is to me yeah well it's like and I'm sure you've had this experience but I've never had somebody on their death bed tell me i wish i would have worked more right right you know that no it's i wish i would have spent more time with the people i love yeah yeah you know i wish i would have enjoyed beauty and you know and i think ecclesiastes is um a good corrective to that now i will say as we look to the future we're getting and i don't know if we'll do this hope maybe this this um We'll get into it a little bit this Sunday, but that Jesus, the New Testament says, especially First Corinthians says, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Mm. And what what might that look like and how we see this wisdom literature culminate um, and this tradition culminate and see its perfection in Jesus Christ. And that's where I'm kind of hoping we can go um, to kind of tie a lot of the, these loose ends together so that people are like le- reading Ecclesiastes in isolation saying right. well this is from somebody who doesn't believe in god or whatever that well a i don't think one person wrote ecclesiastes i think this was edited i think we have good evidence that it was edited by multiple people across time and it was uh, put together um just like proverbs but it was done in the name of solomon because right. he was known as the wisest person that ever lived which was a, a common ancient um right. practice it wasn't like today where we have like you know a lot of money's at stake about who has the copyright to right. you know um chicken soup for the soul right you know i want to get paid so i'm the author right but it wasn't like that back then and i, I mean i know you know that and i think that's a surprise to some folks but it's helpful to i think understand um how some of that authorship works mm. yeah so if if someone was of a mind as we kind of wrap up here and and they're preparing for the next couple of weeks where we're kind of finishing up in ecclesiastes what should I be reading this week in preparation for Sunday sermon? Well, uh, you could be read or you could also listen to Peter, Paul, and Mary's, um, you know, uh, a famous uh, 
song uh, about, uh, or maybe it's the, and the birds, the bird. too. you know, there's a time for everything. Yeah, and, it was the uh, bird sang it. I think, uh, I think Dylan wrote it and the bird sang it. Is that right? I'm pretty sure. Didn't Peter, Paul, and Mary? I think probably everybody's sang Everyone's it. covered the dang thing, but yeah. the birds did it originally. The one you're, you're probably familiar with is the birds. And so, um, and so uh, th that might be a, a interesting to, to think about. I think um, go. I think you could go read the myth of Sisyphus, and it'd give you plenty to uh, wrap your mind around. All right. So, any of our listeners, if you want some light reading, pull out the myth of Sisyphus. I'm sure it's right there on your shelf somewhere. You know, probably probably on your bedside table already. So just. You know, just do a quick reread. <laughs> Indeed. Well, and one of the things we're going to think about this Sunday is uh, time and our schedules and and kind of God's time and human time and how we're spending the time. When is the appropriate time for certain things in our not just in our days, not just in our weeks, but in our lives? And I've, I've been thinking a lot about like the life cycle um, and these kinds of things. And I hope wisdom can help us. It's like, it's like, I realized at some point, Dan, that I had to give up my dream of being a professional basketball player. I, you know, I, I trained, I jumped rope. I shot hundreds of jump shots. I went to camps, but at some point I had to look in the mirror and say, that ship has sailed, bro. You're no one's going to pay you to play basketball. Now, I would be unwise if I continue to spend my life trying to become a professional basketball player. Right. But I, and this is kind of hopefully it's kind of a humorous example. But I think a lot of us live our lives not thinking about those choices. And and we're fools, I think Ecclesiastes would say, if we don't think about that. Um, and so I want us to be wise, kind of raise some of these maybe. Um, unconscious uh, or implicit choices and make them explicit and conscious and raise them up so we can make choices about our lives um, to be more wise and flourish. Great. I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, I, I've enjoyed this whole wise up thing. And I think your, your willingness to engage with Ecclesiastes on this level and then connect it to one, our lives in particular, but also the New Testament is a very wise choice. <laughs> thank you dan <laughs> so just to kind of wrap up you know what's what's going on what are some fun things what should we be we, we doing this week any any kind of insights what are you excited about are you, are you finding inspiring this week or any well, sports you're like oh man i can't miss this game or any of that stuff well first dan i, I first thing i gotta say is i'm sorry for your philadelphia 76 oh they died in a pile thank you james that harden was, that was <laughs> oh and poor Embiid is like he's got a broken face, a broken uh, finger, and he just can't get any help. Um, no, no. So I, I, you know, I shed like one tear for you and your Sixers fans. Yeah, well, Scott Slocum is very happy about it because he's all Miami. So yeah, so I'm gonna be tuning into NBA basketball. I mean, this is just the most I love the playoffs, the most fun time of year. Um, but I like what else? What else would I check out? Um, I've been, I've been, we've been watching a We Crashed about the fall of uh, WeWork and Adam Newman's kind of story is one of these unicorn um, CEOs. And I think there's in a lot, there's been a number of these. There was about Uber, 
There was about, um, about Elizabeth Holmes. Um, and so there's been a bunch of those. And I think they often are, are moral tales about wise and unwise living. And I yeah. think you could watch, the, watch and view those with kind of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs and wisdom in the back of your mind. And you would say, uh, they forgot to be wise. They did not invest time reading Ecclesiastes. You know, I thought I can do it and they couldn't. Yeah. And so I think I would encourage people to check out one of those very uh, entertaining and um, uh, well worth our time. So, so I, I always think like if I can learn from other people's mistakes, those are mistakes I don't have to make. And uh, and I think those are some moral warnings and tales that we can learn a lot from. Excellent. I'm looking forward. So next week, you've kind of already given us a little bit of a precursor. We're going to be back here on, on Monday doing another Closing the Distance. We're really looking at, the, at Ecclesiastes chapter three and uh, looking at, you know, again, go back to your 1960s uh, music, bring out the old LPs. And, and if you got a Birds LP and, you know, turn, turn, turn. There it is. There you and go. You put that on your playlist on repeat all week and you'll be ready to go for, for Sunday. Well, I appreciate this time, Jeff. And I, again, I appreciate your, your wisdom and insight and your willingness to, to kind of help us dive a little bit deeper. So thanks everyone for, for tuning in. We hope this has been valuable and beneficial to you. And we look forward to, to seeing you on Sunday and, and connecting with us one more time. Thanks, awesome. Everybody. Thanks, Dan. Have a good one. All right. Peace.